Praise the Lord. Good morning. Merry Christmas. How's everybody doing this morning? Praise the Lord. Let's start off with going to the Lord in word of prayer even before I read my scripture. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would um, anoint this word, Lord. Lord, I am always helpless without you, Lord. And uh, Lord, we're in need of a direct word from you and a revelation, Lord, of what you're doing uh, in the world around us, Lord. And uh, Lord, we need your uh, leading, we need your guidance, Holy Spirit, we need your anointing uh, to teach this word this morning. And uh, we pray that you would anoint it, you would bless it, you would open up hearts to hear it and uh, minds to understand it, Lord. And uh, we pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. We love you. And everybody says, Amen. Hallelujah. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And I think Brad's got it, except he's in Genesis. You're always working that way. About 39 more books and you'll be right there. <laughs> That's a big Bible. <laughs> All right. Everybody there? Matthew chapter 2? Hallelujah. Now, something I want you to really concentrate on this morning is um, there are three mentions in this scripture of a star. And so how many of you know most of our trees have either a star or an angel? And I think we understand that when Jesus' birth was proclaimed, uh, the shepherds seen angels proclaiming that he had been born in peace on earth. And uh, the star is what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, title of the message is Christmas Star. So there are going to be three references I'm going to stop on each time I hit them this morning. And it's going to be when that star is mentioned because it is really a very important part of Matthew's explanation of what happened when Jesus was born. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 2 in Matthew, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so what is that second word? After. Very important word there. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? You see the past tense there, very important. So the wise men came to Bethlehem when? After he had been born. And past tense, they're saying, Where was the one that had been born? King of the Jews. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we have seen his what? Star. Do you notice before the word star, his is capitalized usually. That means deity. That means that this is um, a deified, this is God, and uh, there's a specific star that's his. And a lot of people call it the Bethlehem star. They try to figure out which star that is that they're talking about here. It says, We've seen His star in the east and have come to what? Worship Him. So these are people that not only, a lot of people say, well, these were pagans, but these were people that seen uh, deity, His star, and they were coming to actually worship Him. 
and they had already been born. And we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So again, we're talking a past tense here. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it's written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. How many know that would make the current ruler very nervous and all Jerusalem with him. Amen. It says he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for what? The baby? It says the young child. So the, t- the word used here in the Greek is not an infant anymore. This is one that's just a little bit older. Okay, so we're still talking past tense here. He's grown just a little. And when you have found him, bring back word to me so that I may come and worship him also. How many know that as you go in the story here, Herod isn't intending to worship him, he's intending to kill him. He wants him dead. And when they come into the house, oh, I'm sorry, I missed a very important part there. He said, go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east. Did you see that again? The star which they had what? Seen, past tense. Went before them till it came and stood where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And so each year we minister... Um, during Christmas about the story of the birth of Christ and what that meant to the world. I mean, it was going to change everything in the world as we know it. How many know from the very beginning of creation, there began to be prophecies even in the garden that uh, God was going to come in the flesh and Emmanuel, God would be with us in the flesh. I mean, this is a, the center of all history is now coming to pass and that's what we celebrate at this time of the year. But how many have ever heard people say, well, you know what, I don't know, I kind of, I don't want to celebrate it because I don't know if it was in December. It looks like he might have during the circumstances and you look at the time period, maybe he was born in the spring. How many have ever heard this? And how many have ever said, well, man, it's just uh, December's a man-made holiday and we maybe shouldn't be celebrating it then. We do it for this reason or that reason. And uh, the teaching that I'm giving you this morning is not necessarily one of those uh, yell and holler and one of those kind of messages. It's teaching to make you understand um, what we do celebrate. And I think that December the 25th, uh, because of this teaching, is a very important time to hollow the birth of Christ. And I think one of the greatest uh, evidences that we have is the star. And so as we begin to look at this, 
we see that, um, does everybody see what I see when I read that, that this star is very prominent in the story? That they originally had seen it in a period of time in the past, and the star appeared, and this star took them from where their home was, and most people uh, would say that their home was either in Iraq or Iran, uh, because that would be the home of the Babylonians or the home of the Persians. And so if you're following the story, this is a group of people called the Magi. And the Magi, there's a lot of uh, confusion on what they may be. And the reason there's so much confusion is because they're like a box of chocolates, as um, one man would say, one famous American. They're very much an assortment of people. And so if you have a king in his court, which Babylon was one of the great world powers, and then Persia... Um, eventually the Medo-Persians replaced the Babylonians. And all of these kings would have an, an enormous court of counselors. And the court of counselors were the most educated men that they could find. And so there was a real assortment of these men. In fact, one of the stories in the Bible is that there was a uh, king's court. And how many remember the king ba- uh, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to get someone to interpret his dreams? And man, you would not at this time want to be in his court. Because he said, will you interpret my dream? And they said, sure, you know, why don't you tell us what it was? And he said, no, I'm not telling anybody what my dream was. I want you to interpret it without knowledge of what I dreamed. Now, how many think that's a tough time to be in the king's court? Because they were facing death if they couldn't interpret it. Meaning he's saying either you're real or you're phonies. And so there was one man in that entire kingdom who was uh, brought over as a, as a slave. He was a prisoner. His nation got destroyed and uh, he was taken captive and his name was Daniel. How many remember Daniel in the Bible? So many amazing prophecies came from his ministry. And, and from the time he was a teenager till he died as an old man, he served in several different administrations with the Babylonians and the Persians. Well, Daniel was the only one in the entire kingdom that could interpret the dreams. And so, because he was the only real wise man that the king had, now remember, the other ones were all kinds of persuasion. Some were in demonic astrology. Some were just educated men who we would call scientists, who understood natural things in the world and were great at explaining. They were just scholars. And then Daniel was the one that truly operated in a supernatural gift that was from the true God. And so Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel the head of the Magi, the head of this group of learned men. And how many know at this time Israel was captive in Babylon? And so this group continued to have a mixture of Jews, continued to have a mixture of Persians, continued to have a mixture of wise men from all different backgrounds. If you're a king and you weren't a true believer in the true God, how many know you'd pull everybody's wise men together? And so this particular group, it doesn't say exactly what their persuasion was, but it does give hints as to what their persuasion was. Had they been pagan magi, I very much doubt that they would have came to worship a Jewish king. And so my opinion, and it varies among different biblical commentators, some believe as I do, some believe other, and I'm not mad which way they believe, but I believe that these were men um, who still lived in the area of the East 
who served with these wise men, and they were learned men, but they were also very faithful to God, and they were looking in the heavens, and they seen something. How many of this really, it really catches your interest that they seen something? And so whatever it was they seen in the sky, it made them want to travel approximately, if it were somewhere around Baghdad to Jerusalem, it's somewhere around 900 miles. You say, well, that's pretty easy, man. I'd just catch a Greyhound or I'd catch a flight and we'd be right there in Tel Aviv and, and we'd be in Jerusalem in no time. But how I many know you got to make it through a desert and you got to go on camels and you got to go on different animals and, you know, this is a big uh, uh, inconvenience. And so why would the highest level scholars and academics and people who are loyal to God, why would they travel nine hundred miles based based on something they seen in the stars. Does this make you curious? I mean, I'm sure that you guys are like me. You put that star on that tree and you're like, the star. Right? You think about that star. we got to start thinking about that because this, um, each of these evangelists that were writing the story of Jesus were putting their most um, important um, eyewitness accounts at the beginning of their Gospels. And so John, you know, was a very spiritual Gospel. So the very beginning of his was, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. Do you know that he's calling Jesus God? The very first line. And you say, well, I don't know if he's God. I don't know about this. Well, he's saying it right there to start off. Matthew starts off with a genealogy because he knows the Jewish people their attention will be stopped. We don't like the genealogy, but the Jewish people look and they say, wow, wait a minute. This genealogy is pretty convincing here because they kept them like nobody else kept them. Well, the second chapter, he's going into a star. And so whatever happened in the stars that day was convincing proof that Matthew said, let's put this front and center. Let's put this right at the beginning. Luke um, literally went to the eyewitness stories. He was like a reporter and like a surgeon that was breaking down a... Uh, um, um, just like he was just examining the facts and a, and a critical historian. And so Luke goes right to, hey, here's what his mother, I interviewed his mother, I interviewed his family members, I interviewed his cousin, interviewed everybody that was around the area and made a documented account so you'd have accuracy. But Matthew talks about the star. And how many think that a lot of people don't know anything about that star? They're just like, oh, you know, there was a star. But, but church, we have to pay attention when that star is mentioned three or four times in about 12 verses. And it leads them all the way from the Middle East. Okay, I don't know. Let me, let me stop here. Maybe your birth was much more impressive than mine. All right? But how many think if anybody was ever born and people traveled 900 miles who were dignitaries from the East... And they came to the President of the United States and they said, where is Evansville, Indiana? And the President's like, why? And, and, and they say, the new ruler of the United States was born. And we've seen his star in the east. Wow. You traveled all the way here because you've seen that and it's my birth? How many have ever heard of a birth that impressive? But these are accounts that were written 
by Matthew, and Matthew was a very early book. I mean, the early church fathers said this book was the one that was written right after Jesus died, and it was written originally in Hebrew, and then it got eventually written in Greek. And so this is a very early book right after Jesus' death, and they're writing a detailed account, and he's saying that there's some kind of impressive star. And so this star... For a long time, we didn't understand the planetary movements. How many know that? This has kind of been a progressive revelation for us that the the planets move in a very expected route. In fact, it's not in a circle, it's in an elliptical um, movement. It's, it's like an elliptical on a treadmill. It's kind of an oval movement. And how many know the planets are predictable? The planets you can calculate... Like Jupiter, it takes 13 years, I believe, to orbit in elliptical fashion. And it just does the same elliptical movement. And I'm not, trust me, I'm not an astronomer. I'm not a scientist. This is beyond my level of comfort. But we need to understand at least the basics as far as my little brain can do it. Um, they gave me a MRI this week and found out it was the size of a peanut. I'm just kidding, but... It may be a little bigger than a peanut, I don't know. <laughs> walnut, yeah, we'll go walnut. Thank you, Brian, I appreciate the support up here. <laughs> so I'm going to try to not use my notes, because if I use my notes, I'll read and I'll stumble and everything else. But for a long time, they didn't realize that there was a predictable law to the movement of the planets. And there was a man that came along who was a pioneer of astronomy. His name was Johannes Kepler. How many have heard of that name? Kepler and Galileo, they were kind of the two pioneers, along with a lot of other people. Two people really can't figure uh, that stuff out. But they stood on the backs of a lot of giants uh, who studied even from way back in history. But Kepler was really unique because he... Uh, was the one who really established the laws of the movement of the planets. And he realized that there was a predictable pattern. And he made computations that he could predict where a planet was at any time in history. How many have ever heard of Kepler's laws? Right? And so he could figure out whatever day and whatever afternoon it was, any time in history that I can tell you exactly where those planets are, and I can also tell you exactly where the stars are beyond the planets, because how many know they're more fixed? So the stars are more fixed and the planets are moving, so the people back in the Bible times thought the planets were just kind of doing their own thing. They were kind of wandering around until Kepler and a lot of different men began began to say their, their mathematical ways to calculate where the planets go. And so Kepler was a very strong believer, and you won't believe this, but one of his passions was figuring out which star was the Bethlehem star. And so he was, I won't say obsessed because I don't know him and I can't say, but he really wanted to know by calculating the planets, and it was very much a task that was very difficult to do because he had to use his calculations He had to write them on a piece of paper. He could figure it out, but it would take him a long time to figure out where that planet was positioned on that particular day. 
And on top of that, he had some bad advice. And during different times of history, there was a certain person's death that helped them date the period of time that they thought Jesus might have died. And I'm not going to go into all the math of that. It'll complicate it. So one school of thought says he died sometime after 4 B.C. And so the time that Kepler lived in, he felt like that maybe that was during the period that Jesus was probably born. So he started searching and calculating and doing mathematical equations, trying to figure out when he was born between 4 and 7 B.C. Well, later there was other scholarship that said, no, no, he actually was born around 2 B.C. And so at the time that they begin to realize that those calculations may possibly be wrong, I hope I'm not boring everybody here, they started to plug it back in because Kepler was looking in the wrong window. And something else happened in that period of time. We began to invent computers. And so now they began to put Kepler's calculations into computers. And the computers now, if you've got maybe 30, 40 bucks, you can actually buy a computer program that will show you what the sky looked like on any day in history. How many think that'd be convenient? And so they began to go back and they said, well, let's look and see this other window, what it looks like. And so now there are two emerging thoughts among commentators. There's more, but there's two really dominant thoughts. One thought is, which I, you know, these are a lot of good people that are well-educated and their brains are larger than mine. They say, well, this is a special phenomena that happened on that particular day. And we don't know what was happening in the sky. It could have been God's Shekinah glory. It could have been some kind of supernatural miracle and there was some kind of star that was there. But then there's the other group that says, well, wait a minute. What would they have seen had they been in the east on that day and they begin to compute it and figure out the alignment of the planets. And myself, looking at all the evidence and all of the different intricacies of the debate, I recognize uh, when you go to the Middle East, one thing that becomes very apparent is that particular region in the Middle East, they don't want anything in the Bible to be true. There are lots of people there that are enemies of the Bible for you know, blood reasons, for lots of different reasons. And so anywhere where you see something significant that happened in the Bible or especially in the life of Christ, um, there's an attempt to just hide it or destroy it. Or, For instance, uh, the place where they think Jesus was crucified, Golgotha. Um, the Muslims very quickly built a bus station there to cover it up. They don't want anybody exploring that. They don't want anybody to think anything significant was there. So you see the place where they think the place of the skull is. And whether it was there or not, we don't know. But we know the Muslims decided it was a good place for a bus station. And there's lots of places in the Middle East where they try to conceal it. And so I believe when it comes to the birth of Christ, everywhere the enemy can fight to try to conceal something, he'll do it. And I feel like in a lot of the arguments about Christ's birth, um, a lot of that's been tried, people have tried to kind of hide it. But when you begin to look at the computations of what was happening in the sky, 
that made a bunch of wise men decide this is crazy. Um, it's pretty impressive. And a lot of this information, if you want to look at it, how many of you have heard of an organization called the Bethlehem Star? Have you ever heard of that? Everybody watched the movie Bethlehem Star, Star of Bethlehem? And uh, this organization's done so much research and uh, looked at the Kepler tables and calculated the sky. And so something impressive happens. Um, and I'm going to try to do it from memory here, so if I mess up, pardon me, but I'm going to be pretty close. Um, what they found was there is one planet that's bigger than all the other planets. How many know what planet that is? Jupiter. Not the sun. Everything rotates elliptically around it, and the sun's massive. But one planet is the king of all the planets. And so it's considered by a lot of people to be like a, a, a king. And there's another star. In fact, there are 12 planets, and then there are 36 uh, stars that are orbiting with those planets, and they make the constellations. And so one star... It's called the Regal Star, and it's also a star that's the king of those other stars. And so they both, to a lot of the minds of these wise men, they, they really had lots of different ideas. Imagine all the wisest, uh, most intelligent scholars, uh, believers. So you've got a mixture here of the Magi of believers, non-believers, pagans, scientists, everything. Any bit of wisdom a king can get, they're part of this Magi. And they were basically, like I said, advisors to kings. And so they were trying to figure out something unusual is happening with these constellations. And you say, well, man, would God speak? Would would God tell a story through the stars? How many think God would do that? Listen to David here. Psalm 19, 1-4. This is a great scripture. How many think David stood out as a as a shepherd and looked at the stars a lot and just glorified God and was amazed by Him. It says here, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. How many think God would proclaim through the stars that something amazing is happening on earth, the greatest event that's ever happened? You know, his birth and his death. And how many know both events were attended by something very unusual in the stars? Uh, When Jesus died, there are reports all around the world from different cultures that, that, that the sun darkened at noon, and it got so dark you could see the stars. And cultures around the world have histories of that day, how unusual it was. And how many know that the moment it turned dark was the moment of his death? And so God does, in fact, speak and tell the whole world. Did you notice that David said there that there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard? How many think that you can get the message even if you don't speak the language? And so God is trying to tell the world something. And so these wise men were seeing something. And so they went back and they used the Kepler computer system. They went back to look at the sky and said, well, what were they seeing? And so Jupiter goes around the one that they considered the royal planet and the royal star Regulus, I think it's called, Regal or Regulus. It's a um, kingly star. And it's kind of a royal star, they call it. And so it's going, Jupiter's going in elliptical motion. 
And then it wobbles a little closer and a little closer and a little closer until at some point it connects with this other royal star. And so what they found out as they looked at the maps or the, uh, the calculations plugged in the computer is that those men who had been watching that in the sky probably had seen that three times in their lifetime. So it wasn't something to get worked up over, but it was interesting. They would have looked and said, well, well, man, why are these two king stars? And you can imagine, you ever been in a room where everybody thinks they know more than the other one? So I can see all these wise scholars in the room like, oh, yeah, it means something. Well, what do you think it means? Well, what do you think? Everybody's got their opinion, right? But then what's really interesting is it happens on the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. They're like, wow, well, that's interesting. And then they notice that the constellation that it happens in is Leo, which is the lion, and it happens within the lion, which uh, many of the Jewish background people would say, well, that symbolizes the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is uh, a Jewish prophecy. And where was he to be born in the tribe of Judah, which is the lion? And you say, well, that's kind of interesting. These Jewish guys in our group are kind of going overboard. But then something happens. Stars... um, Stars have an ability to retreat because the planets are rotating different than the stars. It looks like the the star retreats, but it's actually going in its elliptical motion and the stars aren't moving. And so it looks like a star will retreat and it does it on a regular basis. And don't let me explain it. They say it's like a car when you're both going, one's going 50 and one's going 60 and it looks like the car's going backwards when it's actually going forward. Anybody ever seen that? One car is going 50, you're going 60, you pass it, and it looks like he's going backwards, but he's actually going forward. Well, planets will appear to retreat, but they're not actually retreating. It's the pace of their movement. Hope that's the best I can explain it. Sorry. You have to get an expert. But anyway, as soon as they see it go through there, all right, and so this is the previous year at 3 BC, they see these two royal stars connect. And then they see the star move, and then it retreats back to the same star, and they connect again for a second time, then they connect on a third time, and then it looks like it makes a halo over a coronation of a king. And so by looking at that, they recognize that a king has been coronated in Israel. And so that shook them up. In fact, by the time you get to the third retreat of Jupiter on those uh, computers, that's something very rare. They had never seen that before. It's called a triple conjunction where Jupiter keeps going back to this royal star. And so the Jewish people there said, man, this is unusual. This is really unusual. And then it begins to fulfill a prophecy where the next one that comes after Leo is Virgo which is uh, basically like a virgin woman is what it's supposed to be. And then it shows the moon in her feet and the sun is actually within her. The sun is shining, the moon's at her feet. And, and so you have a coronation of a king, then you see a birth of a savior, and then you see a triple retreat. And these guys are like, their mind is blown. They've never seen anything like this. And then the connection of the stars is the brightest they had ever seen in their lifetime, they said. They said that connection 
of uh, two different planets right after that was the largest or the brightest they had ever seen. And so if this is true, they're looking at these maps and their mind is just blown. They're like, man, this is incredible. You know, they were seeing something that they had never seen before in the, in the heavens. It was like God was just telling a story to them. And so this whole group, and some people say it was three people, but most likely, they say it was three people because there were three gifts, but most likely it was a whole group of people that came from the east to find out where he was born at. And so as they begin to travel, it doesn't necessarily say Whatever it was they seen in the east led them to the west, led them to Israel to look for a king that had been born. But as they're there and a king has been born, it literally says that that star led them to where he was at. And so they began to look at the models and they started to say, what is it that could have done that? What could have caused these guys? And listen to this. I'll read it to you. The problem with a planet stopping is not what you might think. It almost looks like the star stopped right over where Jesus was as a young child. The problem is not the planets can't stop. It's just the opposite. The problem is that all the planets are stopped to the human eye and the observer. The sky moves above the earth and half the speed over our hand on a common clock. Its movement is imperceptible to the naked eye so that all the stars are always stopped. What can Matthew have meant by this? Perhaps you've already anticipated the key to solving the mystery. It's called retrograde motion. An astronomer tracking the movement of planets through the star field watches not so much on the scale of minutes, but on the larger scale of days, weeks, and months. On the scale of time... This star that they had been following, which was Jupiter, um, did stop. On December the 25th, at the end of the year 2 BC, it entered what's called a retrograde. Jupiter reached a full stop in its travel through the fixed stars, and the Magi viewed it from Jerusalem. They would have seen it stop in the sky above the little town of Bethlehem. you imagine that? On that date, on December the 25th, whatever it was that they had seen, in fact, it was back the previous, they had seen this all the way back a year earlier. And then they followed it, and then it gave some type of story in the sky that a king had been born. And that probably was around the spring, which would have been June, which is what most of us say, it looks like the setting of his birth when he was born in a manger was probably in that spring setting. He was born. Then the Magi have seen all this in the sky. They finally show up and they say, let us find the one that had been born back in the spring. And then they see that star again. And they begin to rejoice, it says, because they've seen the star that they had been watching. And that star, they said, stopped. And where it stopped led them five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And it was sitting right over the place where Jesus was staying. And they came and brought gifts and worshipped Him and then went back home. Church, is this not a miracle? 
of God that we can go back in the year 2023, we can go back to computer images and we can follow the exact stars, the exact constellations, and God, and and you say, well, man, we're worshiping on December the 25th. Church, that is amazing to me. It's a miracle above all miracles, and I'll tell you even a greater miracle. Sometimes at Christmas we forget that that star was what led wise men to Christ. How many can get that through your head? It's hard to believe. But how many realize that a star led these men who were supposed to be the wisest of their day, it led them to Christ? Well, listen to this, church. I came across this in men's meeting yesterday. I'd never seen it before. You say, well, man, what does God want me to do at Christmas time? What am I supposed to be for my family? Man, Chad, you don't know how corrupt my family is. You don't know how perverse my family is. You don't know what I have to go through at Christmas. And church, I just told you Christmas is like September all the way to December. The story, it spans a pretty large amount of time. Right? Listen to the scripture in Philippians 2.12. It says, this is from Paul. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. I think he's saying when you're at your Christmas parties. Right? <laughs> you do you do pretty good when I'm around, we're at church, but when I'm not around, do even better. You know? It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. How many know during the holidays God wants to fulfill his good purposes in us? Then Paul goes on and he says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. You say, well, man, I do that all the time when I'm at church. How many think we can do that during the holidays? Work Christmas parties. You know, being around our family, loving our family. It says, do it without grumbling and arguing. And listen to this. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now get this. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You say, well, man, I wish I had a star that led people to Jesus. I wish I had a Christmas star like they had that day to make wise men figure out where Christ is. Church, we are that star. Paul just said it. We're the one that's leading people to Christ. We're holding the word of life, he said. It's in our hands. And God's asking us this Christmas, you say, well, what's God want me to do? Be the best person who gives the most gift? If giving a gift is what it takes to show somebody they're loved, then yeah, that might be it. If being kind to somebody, loving somebody, if just not arguing and complaining. You say, well, man, I'm going to be a star that leads to Christ. Well, quit arguing and complaining. Quit being in the molly grubs. You say, well, man, I can do what I want. It's my Christmas. Yeah, you can, but you won't be a star that leads to Christ and hold the word of life. Church, we got to grab a hold of this word this Christmas. This, the title message is the Christmas star. So the, the commentators will debate. They'll say, well, maybe it was that star. Maybe it's a different star. Maybe it was a kind of glory. I don't think there's any debate. 
Because the Bible is really clear. We're that star. We're leading to Christ. We're leading Him right to His door. Hallelujah. Can we do that, church? Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. Worship team. Oh, hallelujah. All that food's ready and it's 1149. We're in great shape. How many are going to look at the Christmas star different now? How many are glad we put that on top of a tree? You say, well, man, I hate Christmas. I hate December the 25th. You better start loving it because that, that might be the day that they actually found him underneath in a manger. <laughs> Hallelujah. You say, well, I hate giving gifts. Well, you know what? They gave gifts that day. You know what? I hate all the lights. Well, you know what? They had, he's the light of the world. He's the one that came into darkness, church. We're missing a lot of opportunities. Hallelujah. We are that star that leads to Christ. Quit complaining about the date and say, you know what? I'll, 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 we need it. We need a time of the year to celebrate the birth of Christ. And what is a better time of the year? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us. Lord, we want to lead the people we love to you. Oh, Lord, all heaven and all earth shouted your glory that day. Lord, those stars were put in alignment before the creation of the world. You said you created the lights and the firmament for signs. And Lord, you put them in motion and you knew exactly the moment, you knew exactly the day when you would come on earth. And Lord, we just glorify you, Lord. It overwhelms us, Lord. The heavens speak your glory. They speak a language that everybody in the world can understand. Oh, and we just praise you, Lord. Just praise him this morning, church. Let's praise him for a few minutes. Hallelujah. If nothing else, because our bellies are going to be full. Hallelujah. We're living like kings. Hallelujah. How many want to glorify God today? I want to glorify him. He's a great God. He is a great God. I don't want to bless God for the food. I want to bless God. Hallelujah. I want to bless him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for sending your son, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we pray that you bless each person here. Lord, let them be that uh, guiding star, Lord, that leads to you and only you. Nothing else. Hallelujah. We pray these things upon your people. If you keep your eyes closed for one minute, I just want to ask you. Pastor Chad, this is overwhelming. I had no idea what happened that day in the heavens. I have no idea what kind of person was sitting in that manger. I had no idea what God sent on this earth. And I'm telling you today, there's going to come a day where it's not just His birth, not just the darkness in the sky and His death, but there's going to come a day when He returns to set up His kingdom and the heavens will shake, the Bible says. There will be a disruption in the heavens like we've never seen. The entire lights will go dark and then He will appear, the light of the world. And church, if you haven't received Him as your Savior, you won't be ready. That will be eternally separated from God if you're not right with God. And so I want to ask you this morning, before we have a great feast, I want to ask you, if you haven't given your life to the Lord and you see this morning that you need to give your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There may not be another chance. So if that's you this morning, with every eye closed, I want every eye closed. 
But you this morning, I want to see your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're going to pray the prayer together, all of us. Anybody this morning. You've never given your heart to the Lord. Well, this is the morning. Anybody. I'd be so proud to do it with you this morning. Just a few more seconds I'm going to ask you. Anybody never given your heart to the Lord? Hallelujah. We've had so many that have given their heart to the Lord this month. That's you and you didn't do it during the service. I want you to know that I'm always available to pray with you. If you feel in your heart that, man, i got to get right with the Lord. i got to rededicate my life to the Lord. I'm going to be here to pray with you. Hallelujah. Can we do that? I prayed with so many privately. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's bless the food. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord that created it all for us, provided for us. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this body, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the feast that you prepared for us today. You provided for this church all year. You've been more than faithful to all of us, Lord, and we just thank you. Lord, we thank you that you came to earth for us on a rescue mission. Holy Spirit, we thank you for walking with us every day and every moment through the good and the bad, through the failures and through the successes. You've always been there to empower us and comfort us. We thank you, Holy Spirit. And right now, I pray that you bless your people, Lord. In your name we pray. Hallelujah. Church, we're going to sing one song of worship. Can we do that?